Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and I'm so happy to be here with you today talking with Nikki Hardy. Nikki is a Brit in the United States, a cancer survivor, pastor's wife, tea drinker, and teller of bad jokes. As a speaker and author, she's all about meeting you when life's not fair and embracing the reality that with God, life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. A Londoner born and bred, Nikki and her family moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to plant City Church Charlotte. And when she's not speaking, writing, or running trails with her doodles, you can find her with a nice cup of tea trying to figure out which remote control actually turns the TV on. Her work has appeared in Christianity Today, Relevant, Woman to Woman, For Every Mom, Living by Design Ministries, and she is a contributing writer for Thrive Moms. You can find Nikki at NikkiHardy.com or on Instagram at Nikki.Hardy. And Nikki is spelled N-I-K-I. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nikki. Nikki. Hello. Okay. Hey, thanks for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. You are welcome. It's great to be here. You lost your mom and sister to cancer, and then you were also diagnosed with cancer. Would you care to share your story with us? Yes, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride, to be honest. So um, I lost my mom to lung cancer. And then six years after that, my sweet sister, Jo, was diagnosed with the same thing. And if you know anything about cancer, lung cancer is pretty brutal. And unfortunately, they both only survived about 14 months after their diagnosis. So Jo died New Year's Eve and um, 2011, as we kind of celebrated or didn't that year moving into 2012 and um, she was just 43 but then six weeks later it was my turn I was diagnosed and mine wasn't lung cancer like theirs mine was rectal cancer and it's not as bad as lung cancer but it's definitely not sexy and doesn't come with a pretty pink bow and so you know I was determined to survive um, because it felt like the family heat-seeking missile of death had locked in on me and more specifically on my rear end. And so <laughs> really that's, that's the ride I've been on for the last kind of 10 years, including my, you know, going back all the way to losing my mom. Yeah. My mom actually had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and, and she is, is a survivor, but I've, I've seen her walk through, um, this journey as well. And it's not an easy one. And, and so one of the things that you say is that you question questioned, and so did my mom that like, had you done something to deserve this diagnosis? Mm. So, so how did you rectify this question that you wrestled with? It's a difficult one. And I think it is one of the go-to lies really to put it bluntly that we we think about when our world falls apart. You know, it's a faith question, but I think it's also um, just a human question. I've d- you know, there's quite a lot of psychological research out there that says 
when our world falls apart, one of the things we do is blame ourselves. It's all my fault. And with me, I was like, well, the cancer's my fault. It's, you know, because of the genes that I have. And even when I was persuaded that wasn't the case, well, it was because I'm terrible and I don't wash my fruit and veg properly <laughs> or, you know, whatever it was. And even mm. when I was told that wasn't, you know, my you know, the reason for my cancer, then I blame myself for the medical bills and the upheaval in our house. Um, but when it comes to our faith, you know, we think, well, God must be mad at me. What have I done to deserve this? And I just don't think that is true. Um, I think it's a natural reflex reaction. But when we really think about it and we look at the God we find in scripture, we find a God of grace and we find a God of love, and yes, bad things happen, and he said there'd be trouble, but I really don't believe he, he does it out of anger. You know, the Lord's wrath is a real thing, but it's not directed at us um, in that way. It's directed at, at the choices we make that are, that are sin, that separate us from him, and then he provided a way out of that with the cross, so it's, it's a difficult one to wrestle with, but it's a completely normal question, I think. You know, it reminds me of, and I'm not sure where it is in the Bible, but when there's the blind man and they, everybody around him says, mm. well, was it his, you know, was it his parents or what did he do? And, and the answer that Jesus gave was, it was so that, that God could be glorified, you know? Mm. And, and so that's what it reminds me as I'm thinking um, of what is you're talking um, and I think that leads us to sort of the next question. Uh, one of the most difficult theological questions we get as Christians is what kind of God allows suffering? So what would you say to this question? Again, I think it's a completely natural human question because when we are bombarded with pain and suffering, on a large scale, whether it's school shootings and famine and hurricanes and war, and you think, God, what kind of a God allows this? But when our world falls apart, it's as if it becomes personal. And it's like, what kind of God is allowing me to suffer? What kind of God are you? And it, and it hits a personal level. And I think for me, the answer will always be the kind of God that allows suffering is the kind of God that meets us in the middle of the suffering and who has suffered and knows what it's like and understands and will comfort and will bring peace. And a, it's a God who is very, very involved and interested and caring about our suffering. He's not cold. He's not disinterested. He's not angry. But we live in a broken world. And, you know, I, I could give you the theological answer that, you know, what happens in the spiritual realm happens in the physical realm and the choices we make and the broken world, you know, so bad things happen. But really, when your world's fallen apart and you have lost someone you love or something terrible is happening, those theological answers don't speak to our hearts. They're, they're no use when you're sitting by somebody's bedside. What's, what's impactful is 
that he is a God who will meet us right there at that moment by the bedside. Mm, that's, that's good. Well, you say that the turning point for you was when you met some people who called themselves cancer thrivers, not cancer survivors. And you set out to learn how to do the same and share what you've learned, which has led to your recent book release titled Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart. What practical tips would you suggest to stop merely surviving and start thriving right where you are? Mm, Well, that is what is at the heart of the book Breathe Again, Rachel. I mean, I needed to write the book that I needed when I was sick. Because when I was sick and I was barely surviving, you know, I said at the beginning that I was determined to survive. You know, I'm a Brit. I've got a stiff and perfectly waxed upper lip and I can keep (laughs) calm and carry on. And I just thought my faith and my grit and my determination and my strength were going to, you know, get me through this and I was going to survive. And then I had chemo and radiation and surgery and more chemo. I had an ostomy bag where, you know, I could walk, talk and poop and praise God in church all at the same time. (laughs) And but it got to the point where all I was doing was surviving. And then, as you said, I met these people who called themselves thrivers. And it was so enticing and intriguing and inviting. And I sort of went, ooh. I want what they have. And it was as if they were saying, yes, life is really hard. It really sucks right now, but I am going to grab the most out of it right where I am. And I'm not going to say, well, when I'm done with cancer, then I'll get on with my life. They're not saying if I can just get through this, then I'll be able to grab hold of God's abundant life. They were saying, no, it's here right now. And I read encouraging books and inspiring books, but I'm a super practical person and I knew I needed to trust God and, you know, be grateful and be vulnerable, all these things. But I was like, how, how do I do that practically? And so those are the practical steps that I go through in Breathe Again. It's kind of like a a roadmap for thriving and not just surviving and it's you know super down to earth super practical and um yeah it's the kind of the best friend you need when you're going through this but some of the tips i share is first of all to deal with some of those lies like that question we talked about you know what have i done to deserve this Um, as well as you know is god angry has he left me and then lies about ourselves and replace that with truth. And then I have these seven practices. I call them practices, not tools, because I felt like a tool was something you could fix something with. And I think when we're in the midst of something, we can't just fix it. It's something we have to work with and practice and figure out where we are right now and how we can move forward. But I've got seven practical tips or practices to help us move forward things like choosing brave trusting god finding community being vulnerable embracing the journey practicing gratitude and um and reaching out and these are the some of the things that we can do in the midst of where we are 
to start grabbing hold of that life and the abundance that God has for us. And I think it's a lie that we think that that abundance is all happy, skippy, healthy, wealthy and looks like a perfect Instagram feed. I think more that it looks like joy and peace and connection and laughter and intimacy and those kind of things. So through this experience, you learned to hold hands with both the good and the bad, joy and pain, laughter and tears, loneliness and friendship, doubts and faith, peace and fear, hope and worry, and chemo and cookies. <laughs> so were you, how were you able to move from feeling either or to and and both, accepting both? Mm, it's a great question because I think on the one hand, as I started to put into practice some of these tools that I've talked about, I started to notice that this was happening, that I could be lying on a scanner with, you know, the PET scan machine whirring around. And on the one hand, I was deeply fearful. But on the other hand, I had deep faith at the same time. And I was like, this is weird. Surely it's one or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty logical person. So emotions are either in a box labeled good or box labeled bad. <laughs> and, and I was starting to realize that actually there were moments of joy and laughter where at the same time, things were deeply painful or, you know, we could laugh in the middle of the tears. And so I think rather than learning how to do it, what I found was as I put the practices in place, as I started to do some of these things, it was more of a realization that, gosh, this isn't an either or. It's a both and, which was terribly exciting. Yeah. Well, so you, you write, you don't need to see things differently to be grateful, rather be grateful to see things differently. How were you able to shift your perspective? That's a great question because there's a lot of research out there about how, when we are grateful as an, um, as a posture, as an action, we start to increase our kind of all the measures of well-being and so really it is a case of once we are grateful we see things differently and I share in the book the story of Kristen each of the practices has a different thriver that I talk about and they are all dealing with something quite horrific in a way and for Kristen she is a triple amputee she lost both her hands and one of her feet and half of the other one, actually, um, after septic shock. And she talks about flipping the script, about rather than saying, I have to do four loads of washing when I'm exhausted, she flips the script from I have to to I get to. I get to do laundry for my kids. I have four gorgeous kids. I have fresh hot water. The, the, I have a washing machine. We have ample clothes for everyone. And I have figured out how to use my prosthetic hands to fold T-shirts. Wow. And so she's, this is how she does it. And as, as we start to flip the script, as we start to intentionally give thanks and be grateful, whether we feel it or not, 
we don't need to feel grateful to be grateful Mm-hmm. it starts to shift our perspective and we really do start to see things differently. You know, just noticing three things to be grateful for at the end of every day is just a, a huge transformational practice. Yeah, um, it is a challenge. And I'm thinking I should never um, complain to do my laundry again. After hearing that story. <laughs> no, tell me about it. <laughs> so, and unfortunately, none of us are immune to life's earthquakes, a scary diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, a divorce, a breakup, bankruptcy, infertility, the list goes on and on. So, but God said that there would be troubles in this life, but he also said that he came that we might have life to the full. And these two verses seem to contradict each other. But Nikki, you say that we don't need to wait for the troubles to be over to experience God's abundant life. How do you suggest that we have a full life in the midst of trouble? Mm, I think it's, as I was saying before, it's, a, it's like the world has pull, pulled a fast one on us that we now expect a full and abundant life to be glossy because the world looks glossy. So we think it must be glossy. And because my life is anything but glossy, then I have to wait and we put it off and we, we hunker down and we go in for the long haul. And we can think if I can just get through this. And I don't think that's what God meant when he gave us these two, when Jesus spoke these two verses, I don't think they're meant to be separated in time and space. And I think when we look at our situation differently, when we start to get rid of the lies that we believe about ourselves and our situation and about God, and we replace them with truth, and we start doing some of these practices, then we find the abundant life right where we are. And we realize that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full, that there's more right in the middle of the you know, the bucket full of less that mm. the world has handed us. And um, so I really do think it's possible. When everything in life feels hard, we ache to hear what God has to say. But how do we tune out the distractions, the worries and the anxiety, everything screaming for our attention all at once and hear his still small voice? How do you suggest that we train both our head and our heart to hear his voice amongst the noise of our own minds talk? Yeah, it's tricky one. Hearing God's voice is is always tricky. And I can't remember who said it, but um, somebody much um, more of a deeper thinker than myself said, (laughs) God never speaks so clearly that there's no room for doubt. Um, And I think what we need to do is engage both our right brain and our left brain and we have become so left-brained in society today and I'm a left brain kind of person naturally you know logical sequenced like I said not hugely emotionally in tune Mm. but hearing God's voice is a spiritual discipline and it takes our right side of our brain so somehow we need to use both you know it's not like we need to throw logic and intelligence out of the window when we listen to God's voice. But we also need to quiet the logical side that is saying, well, that might not be God. That's just you, all those yeah. things. Yeah. And engage our right brain when we 
listen to worship music, when we paint, when we go for a walk in the woods, when we um, journal, all these kind of things. And so I find the only way to, for me to quiet my mind talk is I journal and I journal my prayers to God. And that's me saying, okay, this is my left brain. And then I intentionally kind of leave a gap and then I journal as if it's God speaking. Mm. So it's him talking to me and I write in, in that way as if he is speaking. And I just try and go with it and I try and turn off my left brain that's saying, well, that's the silly thing to say. He's not going to mm. say that to you. Yeah. That's just you. And I try and go with the flow and then... When I finish, that's when I, turn, I let my left brain <laughs> cut, turn back <laughs> yeah. on. And I say, well, which of this might be God and which of it might be me? And mm-hmm. over time, as I do that, there can become patterns. And I see things or prayers that are answered. And I say, okay. And then we start to tune in. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was first dating my husband, if we were in a crowded room, I had no idea where he was. But now, after nearly 30 years together, all he has to do is cough and I know where he is because I've tuned in over time. I'm so familiar with the sound of his voice and his laugh and the little tickle he gets in the back of his throat that I, I have learned and I'm familiar with his voice. And so I think we can calm our mind talk like that by listening and replacing it with truth, those kind of things. Mm, what good practices such good advice so you have some other really great resources on your website that also coincide with breathe again and one of those that I really liked was called 10 powerful promises for when life stinks (laughs) (laughs) so how do we find comfort and hope during these times it's so multifaceted, I think. I think, you know, with the powerful promises, these are just a reminder that we are loved, that we are comforted, that we are seen, that we are forgiven, all these truths that we need to pour over ourselves day by day, minute by minute sometimes, when life does stink. Um, But I think also we can find comfort and hope in the word, we find comfort and hope in other people, so many different ways but those those promises are a way of repeating that scripture back to ourselves when we need it the most and in the same way one of the the gifts i have at the back of the book is um is an audio of a love letter from god to us written entirely in scriptures mm-hmm. and there are 40 scriptures back to back that read like a love letter and it, things like that are just good to soak in. And as we soak those in, we find that comfort and, we, and that hope. Mm, yeah. Well, as evidence in just our conversation in the last 20 minutes or so, you've used laughter um, as your medicine. And you, you're actually quoted to say, it's okay to laugh when all you want to do is cry. So, so how did you find laughter to be good medicine throughout your journey? Well, I think it's kind of key to note that this is my natural personality and it's not <laughs> like I suddenly started making jokes yeah, that yeah. were off 
brand of who I was, if you like, <laughs> right? Not, you know, because that would be deeply inappropriate. But yeah. so we're quite a humorous family. We make jokes all the time. And I found that at the beginning, I lost a bit of that in the hunkering down in the determination to survive. And it wasn't until I was able to take a breath and start to laugh that I almost came back to life. I remember the first time we went out to dinner after I had had my surgery where I had my ostomy bag. And, you know, our kids were, uh, I think we had one teenager by then and tweens. And, you know, we were at a restaurant we'd ordered. They were impatient for food. And one of them says, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. Nips off, goes to the bathroom, comes back. And then, of course, the next one says, well, I need to go now. So they go off and come back. And then finally, the youngest, she goes off and comes back. And so I sit there and I say, well, I need to go to the bathroom now. And then I don't move. (laughs) And you can see the penny drop and you can see their faces suddenly think, mum made a joke about her poop bag and pooing at the table. And, you know, we all cracked up and it was it was just a way of lightening the mood. But Mm. also it gave everyone permission that this didn't need to be such a grave and serious thing the whole time. I mean, yes, there are moments when it's totally inappropriate to laugh. But there are other times when laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, well, it can be a gift. Yeah. Well, so a quote from your book that really resonates with me says that thriving is a team sport and no one wins alone. What did the support of people mean to you during this season of trial? And and how did people specifically love you well? It's a great question because, as I say in the book, there are the people around you, your family and your friends who know you and love you. Then there's the circle of people who you know, but you don't really know that well. And then there are people in communities that are dealing with the same problem as yourself. So for me, it was the, co- the colon cancer community. And the groups that I found most difficult were the colon cancer community and those people that were a little bit removed from me. My friends and my family were great and they really loved me well. But it was hard, especially as church leaders, to decide, well, how honest are we going to be in church? How vulnerable are we going to be in church? Um, And then I'll be honest, I didn't want anything to do with the cancer community. And I explain all this in the book. And actually, I wrote about it on Instagram the other day. But I think it was self-protection and fear and arrogance and all those things. I was terrified of getting close to people who had cancer and might well die. And I was like, I've had enough grief in my life. I also thought, well, I don't need them. I've got great friends. Um, Or I was in denial. I didn't want to admit that I was one of them, you know, a cancer person. So many different reasons. But... um, what I realized was, is that we need the people around us who can love us and take our kids to activities and bring us meals and sit with us in the pain. But we also need people who get it in a way those people around us just never will. Al and my 
best friends, they love me, but they don't know what it's like to sit in a chemo chair. They, yeah. thankfully, they don't know what it's like to have a scan to see whether the rest of your body's going to light up like a Christmas tree and be told that it's gone everywhere. They don't know what it's like to have an ostomy bag leak in Target. So you need to, st- we need to step out towards the I get it crowd in our life, but also be with the people close to us. Um, and I think I avoided community a little bit, but we are made for community. We are created in the image of a God who is community, Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I talk about it being this community conundrum. We both want it because we're made for it, but we shy away from it because it's raw and vulnerable and scary or can be, and we can be, have been hurt by community in the past. Um, But I really do believe thriving is a team sport when we let people in and wisely not letting anyone in, you know, I'm not saying you have to, tell the postman about your late, <laughs> latest colonoscopy but you yeah. know I, it's it really is a team sport how would you suggest that we love others who are also undergoing a similar season that you went through that's a great question because i think we all get tongue tied and feel awkward especially when somebody gives us difficult yeah. news yeah And one of the best things you can say is just, I'm so sorry, that must be really hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't then have to go on and tell them how great Aunt Sally had a cousin who once went through, you know, through that. It's our our temptation because we want to uh, fix it and we want to feel like we are adding value. But I think the best thing we can do to love others well is to sit with them in the pain admit that yes it sucks but when they're not feeling terrible to not keep talking about it if they're having a good day have a good day with them Mm -hmm. you know and be practical and say you might not know what you need right now I'm wondering if I can x y or z can I bring you a meal what if you know I'm popping to the pharmacy anyway can I pick up a prescription for you those kind of things can really help. In your book, you write, you've got this because God's got you. So, you know, you're a pastor's wife and, and as hearing everything that you've said, you have a very strong faith. So, so how would you describe the fact that you, your faith carried you through? I think the key thing was that I stayed in contact with God. (laughs) I know that sounds crazy, but you know, God is a relational God and he wants to be involved and he wants to be part of it. And even when I was angry with him, I still went to him with my anger. I've learned in the past and that turning away and turning my back on him in anger in a kind of well, I'm so mad at you and you're not talking to me, so I'm not going to talk to you kind of. (laughs) Silent treatment. Yes. (laughs) Doesn't help. So I had to work at saying, even though I'm really angry, even though I don't understand, I'm going to keep dumping all that back on you. And I think even if that's the case, we're still in relationship with God. He can still minister to us. But if we turn our back on him, he doesn't have a chance. And so 
my faith carried me through, but I wouldn't say that it was pristine all the way through. I don't want anyone to get some idea that I'm some super spiritual floating above the ground, you know, person. I got angry. I got mad. I wanted to turn away, but I kept coming back. Yeah. Well, so Nikki, tell us how we can keep in contact with you and get your book. And you've got some speaking engagements coming up. Tell us Mm. all the things. So my book's available wherever books are sold, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, those kind of things. But I always like to, to plug, if you have a local bookshop, go and ask for it there. You know, we're going to lose our local bookshops mm. if we don't use yeah. them. Um, so you, that's where you can get the book. But I'm always around on NikkiHardy.com. That's my website. It's N-I-K-I-H-A-R-D-Y. And like you said, there are loads of resources there. People can download a free chapter or a couple of free chapters if they want. And those promises, all sorts of things. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. I love being on Instagram, just learning which way is up on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm no spring chicken. So I'm a bit Neanderthal when it comes to technology. Um, And yes, speaking engagements. So I am part of the She Found Joy tour, Girls Night Out tour. So we will be in Franklin, Tennessee, Raleigh, North Carolina, Elkhart, Indianapolis, um, a couple of places in Florida. So yes, Memphis and yeah, all over the place. So come and find us at She Found Joy. So that would be fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll include all of those links in the show notes so that people can, can find you and find those conferences. But Nikki, thank you for being my guest today and for sharing your story with us. I pray that no matter what our listeners are experiencing today, that they are able to breathe again and live life well, even when it may seem like it is falling apart. You are proof that they can. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today for my conversation with Nikki Hardy. I hope and pray that no matter what season of life you are finding yourself in, if it is a season of struggle, that you learned practices today that you can apply to your own life so that you can thrive rather than just survive. If you're interested in today's show notes, you can head over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, or you can also go over to my website at rachelkadams.com and sign up to receive emails so you never miss an episode. Another way that you can um, make sure that you hear every episode is by going to your favorite listening platform and subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Love Offering podcast. I would appreciate that so much. Uh, Next week, Tracy Steele is my guest. She is the author of A Redesigned Life, which is a book about uncovering God's purpose when life doesn't go as planned. I hope you'll join us as we are reminded that God is our ever-present caring designer, even if we're living a life that we wouldn't have designed for ourselves. I hope that you have a great week this week. I will talk to you next week. And until then, remember, always lead with love.